and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Tom Keogh. AIMA is the global representative of the alternative investment industry with around 2,000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately $2.5 trillion in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment universe, news, views, and analysis delivered by AIMA's global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So whether you're a hedge fund or a private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Now, it has been well documented about the challenges being currently experienced across financial markets amidst heightened geopolitical tensions, inflation levels not seen in nearly 50 years, with stock markets plummeting in value throughout the course of this year. The S&P 500 and the MSCI world being down over 20% year to date, while a typical 60-40 portfolio, a long-cherished investment strategy for pension plans and other conservative institutional investors, is down approximately 16% through the year. By contrast, hedge funds on average are down approximately 4% year-to-date, with some hedge funds delivering very strong returns. But that is not all the story. Performance dispersion is prominent, with some significant gains being reported for investors, while certain strategies continue to deliver. Among these are managed futures strategies, which are enjoying something of a renaissance, with the average CTA returning over 10% net of fees for investors year-to-date. So, what are these recession-busting strategies? To help us understand more, we are delighted to be joined by Kevin Donoghue, Head of Research at Abbey Capital, an alternative investment fund manager that specialises in managed futures. Kevin has more than a decade of experience in investment in managed futures and is integral to all aspects of Abbey's investment process and portfolio construction. Kevin, you're very welcome to The Long Short. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Drew. It's uh, great to be joining you here today. Thanks very much for the the opportunity to come and, and, and speak on Managed Futures. And, and let's start then with the term Managed Futures. That covers a wide range of different strategy types. Uh, could you give a sense to our listeners as to how this industry has evolved over time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, at just under $400 billion in, in assets under management, the, the Managed Futures industry represents... Uh, a little under 10% of estimated global hedge fund assets. Um, We often hear this space referred to by uh, various names such as managed futures, CTAs, trend following or or systematic macro. Uh, In reality, many of these different terms are are quite interchangeable and and they're essentially describing very similar things. Um, The term commodity trading advisor or CTA itself uh, can be traced back to the CFTC Act in, in 1974, which itself built on other pieces of legislation from earlier in the 20th century. And these acts were really looking to bring more regulation and coherence to commodities and futures trading that had its origins in the establishment of the, the Chicago Board of Trade and, and the grain trading uh, of the mid-1800s. Um, so it helped to define the role of, of CTAs and CPOs uh, who were, were active professional managers who were working more routinely with derivative markets than traditional stock market fund managers. Today, many of those terms I referenced earlier are synonymous with the managed futures industry, uh, or they describe specific styles of trading within it, such as trend following, for example. Uh, It's an industry that's really seen continuous evolution over time, 
as markets and systems and trading techniques have changed, CTAs have also evolved greatly uh, in, in response to that. So the industry has become far more institutionalized and professional uh, with increasingly high focus on, on risk management techniques, I would say. And we've also seen the breadth of markets traded by these managers expand uh, a lot in recent years, which has resulted in exposure to a very wide range of potentially diversifying asset classes. So how does Abby define or characterize the various styles within the managed futures universe? At the simplest level, we typically break the universe of managers down by defining them first as either trend following or non-trend. We refer to this internally as a core satellite approach. It helps us to define the approaches of individual managers in the industry, but it also extends to how we consider the allocation of risk within the funds we manage. So it's an important concept for us. In our view, the overall categorization includes a few distinct trading styles. So when we think of a core trading style, we think specifically of of trend following. Um, Many of your listeners will know this is a, a systematic style of trading that enables managers to potentially take advantage of trends in markets with positions typically taken over multi-week and and even at times multi-month horizons. The inputs of these traders will often primarily focus on on price data in markets. And in terms of the satellite classifications, this would be made up of predominantly non-trend strategies. These can be strategies that may be complementary to trend following over the long term by having a consistently or structurally low correlation to trend. Um, They'll often use different inputs to trend following strategies, such as incorporating more fundamental or bespoke data sets, for example. Uh, And examples of of the non-trend strategies then, in terms of how Abby would define them, um, they would break down into things like short-term systematic traders, so momentum and mean reversion opportunities over a shorter time horizon, global macro managers, both from a discretionary and systematic perspective. And this is where we really see some of that fundamental data set come into play, Uh, value or relative value managers, and then counter trend managers as well. So the important thing we look for in these types of managers is their diversifying profile compared to trend and compared to one another, uh, as this is, you know, an important consideration for us when we're building portfolios. Kevin, then how would you describe the um, the merits and, and the potential pitfalls then around managed futures investing? You know, what do you see as the key characteristics? Yeah, uh, in terms of merits, you know, Abby's approach to this industry begins with a very strong conviction that we have in, in the potential benefits of managed futures in a broader portfolio setting. Um, we believe that markets exhibit trends and repeating price patterns and that this is due to economic and behavioral factors. So we think that systematic and discretionary traders can potentially capitalize on these repeating patterns over time. Over the long term, we've observed managed futures offering a significant diversification benefit to traditional asset classes such as equities and bond portfolios. And there are various reasons why it's tended to have this low correlation to traditional assets. It's bi-directional in nature, so it, it, it often takes long or short positions uh, in markets as trends evolve. It trades in multiple asset classes, and it tends to perform best when there are strong trends in markets and can potentially offer diversification, particularly during uh, market stress events, or certainly this has been a feature of it historically. A key characteristic of the space also relates to liquidity. Trading mostly in exchange-listed futures contracts, CTAs typically deliver their strategies in a very liquid way with real daily liquidity offered to their clients. 
and this is an important consideration for investors and something we often feel is underpriced in markets. CTAs have in the past been a very important provider of liquidity to their clients during stress events in markets. In terms of the pitfalls of, of strategies like this, you know, we can see periods of sustained low volatility in markets, which can be challenging for managed futures managers. Periods of directionless sideways markets or, or choppy trends can also be uh, periods where they'll tend to underperform, relatively speaking. Overall, it's very difficult to time markets, to time when and where trending opportunities might present. Um, from our perspective, it's, it's important to consider time in the market as opposed to specifically attempting to time it. You touched on it a little bit there, but if I could just ask you to expand on Abbey Capital's particular investment philosophy and approach when allocating to manage futures. Yeah, Abbey Capital's investment philosophy has always been equities for the long term with managed futures as an effective diversifying strategy alongside this as a, as a complement. Um, from a managed futures perspective, the multi-manager approach is, is really central to what we do here at Abbey. One of our key investment objectives, I would say, is that we want to build robust rather than optimized portfolios. So individual managers within a portfolio might have a more optimized approach to markets themselves. Um, but we look to blend differentiated trading styles with the aim of delivering uh, a more robust portfolio level offering. Um, we don't want to create portfolios that are tuned to a, a transient or a short-term effect in markets. We want our portfolios to complement traditional asset classes uh, over the long term. The CTA industry has a couple of key characteristics, I would say, that are important in why we have such a high conviction in this blended multi-manager approach. CTAs have historically exhibited very high dispersion of returns and also low persistence uh, of returns. So <clears throat> return dispersion isn't unique to CTAs, uh, but it is quite pronounced in this industry. Uh, very similar managers can have very different return outcomes within the same period. Uh, and historically, it is also we've also seen that it's it's highly unlikely that the same managers will outperform year on year as the market environment changes. Uh, so we can tend to see a mean reverting effect in, in manager performance. There's a number of reasons why similar managers can differ so much. They, they might adopt different trading styles, so trend versus non-trend, or even different methods of trend following it, it, itself. Um, they might have different risk allocation methodologies, so potentially favoring certain asset classes over others, uh, like a greater allocation to financials versus commodities, for example. Uh, and whole periods and risk management techniques are also uh, quite important differentiators. As a result of this, we would feel that managers should be assessed on a broad range of factors rather than recent performance alone. Um, so our investment process for selecting CTAs and the proprietary tools and systems that we've developed over the years here are geared towards helping us understand the drivers of this manager dispersion. What makes uh, managers differ from one another and how can we utilize this information in constructing a diversified managed futures portfolio? We do this by effectively building a qualitative expectation of an individual strategy over time and then quantitatively assessing whether we see that expectation evidenced in the data that we analyze. And Kevin, how does Abbey Capital's approach differ then from other participants in the industry? Yeah, Tom, we, we've always placed a very strong emphasis on the importance of building and sustaining relationships with our managers. 
these are long-term partnerships. And so we take a, a long-term view when it comes to the process of due diligence with an individual manager. As I mentioned before, we focus very strongly on the quantitative and qualitative understanding we have of managers and their strategies. Understanding them in this way can allow us to sit with them through inevitable drawdowns as long as the performance and profile we're seeing matches our understanding. So this is a key benefit uh, of the multi-manager approach in, in our view. Importantly, the funds we manage only allocate to managers through separately managed accounts. It gives us a lot of transparency into the positions and P&L of the strategies that we allocate to and also provides us with daily liquidity on these strategies, which we can subsequently pass to our investors. AIMA's annual flagship regulatory event, the Global Policy and Regulatory Forum, returns in person for the first time in two years this November in Paris. The event gives the hedge fund industry a unique opportunity to engage with senior policymakers and regulators from around the world as they explore the overall macro outlook of the industry, while considering how investment strategies are evolving in light of investor and regulatory pressures. The full-day conference will include a range of keynotes, panels and breakout sessions for delegates to choose between, as well as long-awaited networking opportunities with peers both old and new. To read more or to register, visit our website www.ama.org. So we've seen a diverse range of themes driving elevated macro and geopolitical volatility in the past 18 months. This has often translated to increased market volatility. How have these themes impacted the way you think about the process of portfolio and risk management? Yeah, for for us, the challenge of portfolio and risk management remains very consistent, Drew, um, and process-driven. Even through market environments like we've seen recently, our thinking isn't impacted by transient or or, uh, evolving market conditions. And this comes back to the belief that we have that you you cannot time when or where trend-following opportunities might present. In our approach, it's important that we retain uh, consistent allocations of risk over the long term to the various differentiated trading styles that we identify, as well as the various market sectors that our managers trade. Uh, In 2022, for example, we've seen a substantial rotation of trending opportunities through different manager styles at different times and also through uh, a number of different market sectors. The opportunity set has evolved dramatically, actually, as the year has has progressed. And and Kevin, uh, the performance, so we touched on it in the introduction, the performance from managed future strategies you know has has been very good recently um, and not only compared to traditional asset classes but also relative to other hedge fund strategies what do you believe have been the key macroeconomic drivers of that performance yeah tom uh, you know <clears throat> markets are are facing uncertainty in in real time uh, as we move from a, a long period of very low volatility and and, and abundant liquidity to a new environment which is increasingly focused, uh, it seems, on on market fundamentals. The move away from QE and suppressed market vol uh, has been extremely interesting, and this transition has been an important influence on the performance of the managed futures industry. Um, Interest in CTA strategies as an alternative investment is higher now because of the challenging environment for for traditional asset classes, as you pointed out earlier on. Uh, But in reality, the conditions for CTA strategies have experienced improvement further back than just this year. 
Um, a major driver of this, I would say, has been the return of macro volatility and uncertainty to markets. Uh, this has had an impact on, on, on market vol, which, as it has increased, has helped to create an improved opportunity set for, for managed futures strategies. In 2019, for example, we saw sharp moves in fixed income markets as rates moved lower. And that created trending opportunities for many CTAs. In 2020, then, COVID-19 introduced a huge risk event to markets, uh, and that elevated volatility saw opportunities present in things like equities and commodities as the year progressed. And in 2021, then, was a period of, of, of global economic reopening, as we know, and that created a reflationary environment and trends across commodity markets, especially seen in, in energies and base metals and, and agricultural contracts. This year, then, has seen that environment really develop further, um, the, the inflation pressures that built through 2021 were partly driven by those higher commodity prices. That was essentially an input to that higher inflation that we were seeing through Q3 and Q4. Uh, inflation is effectively an accelerated price trend, and, and this has historically been associated with periods of, of positive performance for CTAs. In 2022, we've seen those second-order impacts of that inflation really start to dominate in terms of the response of market participants to the inflation. The start of the year saw commodities continue to contribute positively for most managers, or a lot of managers, but higher rate expectations also led to very strong trending opportunities on the short side of fixed income markets. And then more recently, you know, as central banks have juggled the need for tighter monetary policy to battle inflation against a backdrop of growing fears of slowdown and recession. This has helped to give rise to policy divergence, as we know. Uh, and, and what we've seen there is, is strong trends developing things like currency markets as well. So that's been a, a key feature of that performance. And something we're always keen to stress here is that although those headline figures around uh, hedge fund index performance are useful, you often need to be more granular to get a greater idea of the dispersion within strategies. And, and likewise, you mentioned that, that managed futures themselves, it, you can dig even deeper and, and get quite a lot of dispersions between uh, the various strategies that you outlined earlier. Could you just give us an idea of how performance has varied across the managed futures space this year? Yeah, as, as we typically expect, we've seen dispersion of returns across managers in the industry. Um, generally speaking, each of the trading styles we spoke about earlier have experienced broadly positive performance, although the, the timing has often differed. And I think that's been important to note. Trend following managers did particularly well in the moves seen in, in quarter one and again during quarter three. So those long commodity, short fixed income uh, and more recently short fixed income and long dollar positions within currencies. Um, Non-trend managers like short term and macro saw their stronger periods of performance coming more in the second quarter actually. Um, so as market volatility and the influence of fundamental factors can evolve, we'll often see these various trading styles experience differentiated performance compared to one another, and the timing of that can be different. Um, um, Kevin, have there been any surprises, positive or negative, in your in your observations then around performance? Yeah, volatility in markets has been higher, um, and the opportunity set has been quite varied across different market sectors and timeframes. Um, an internal metric uh, that Abby uses is to track the percentage of futures markets that are defined to be in a trending state uh, at any one time. 
this measure is showing that the percentage of markets trending during 2022 is at levels that we haven't seen since 2009. Uh, so it's illustrative of the favorable environment, I would say, that many CTAs have, have been experiencing. It, it hasn't been a positive uh, environment for all managers, though. Um, the higher volatility and, and increased macro uncertainty has resulted in quite a large degree of performance dispersion in the space beyond the longer term averages we would tend to see, actually. Uh, in our view, this type of environment can illustrate the, the potential benefit of, of considering a multi-manager approach within managed futures. And an interesting note to mention as well is the tailwind to performance that the industry, the wider industry, is experiencing due to higher interest rates. Uh, given that much of the trading is implemented through exchange-traded futures, the positions are funded on margin. Uh, this can mean that at any one time, approximately 70% or so of the cash invested in a fund is not being used to fund margin uh, and can be used to earn a yield. Uh, so the higher rates this year are providing an increasingly strong return on this free cash. That's interesting, actually. I just didn't think about that initially. Um we obviously have to ask about the potential challenges as well. You, you've mentioned timing there and uh, obviously volatility coming from a wide number of, of macro uh, trends this year. But just more more broadly, what are the potential challenges that this type of environment does bring to these strategies and, and the wider business? Yeah, I would say the, the ongoing education process with clients and, and prospects is really important at a time like this. Um, the strong performance itself can become a real focus for people. Uh, but in our discussions, we try to focus less on the specifics of the performance and more on the longer term profile of managed futures and the multi-manager concept. Um, you know, we feel this is really important to help investors understand the strategy more and, and its expected return profile. There will inevitably be drawdowns as market conditions evolve. So we take a longer term focus on the diversification and correlation profile of these strategies and try to contextualize the current performance within that longer term understanding. Now, switching gears a little, um, the pandemic accelerated the work from home and the rethink around the operational infrastructure of many investment managers. And here on the long short, we have documented a lot about working remotely and how businesses have become more cloud-based. Um, so how has that affected um, how you then go about conducting operational due diligence? Yeah, I mean, w whether we think about investment or operational due diligence, for us, the building and sustaining of strong relationships with our managers has been hugely important over this time, as you can imagine. Um, as the pandemic hit, the ability to adapt to a remote first environment was was key for this industry, as it was for many others. Ensuring a robust, secure technology infrastructure was hugely important to, to that switch over. Um, the pandemic brought about an increased focus on how systems are accessed by staff, for example. Uh, this was already a key part of what we would have focused on. But more so now, as the number of locations changed from a few offices to every staff member's home effectively becoming an office. So it's been, an, it's been important to understand how the control environment uh, has evolved within managers, how our device is locked down, for example. Staff could be using the same device uh, as their children are using for school or leisure. Uh, so if a firm is, is allowing this, uh, how are they controlling for it? Another area is to understand what cyber controls 
firms have put in place to watch for attempted data breaches. Data loss prevention becomes very important uh, at a time like this. So how staff are trained and the need for firms to reinforce good practices on a continuous basis uh, has been very important. In, in reality, uh, and in the, the view of our ODD team, the, the use of well-constructed cloud-based systems is no more a risk than in-house hosted systems. Uh, in most cases, cloud-based providers are going to do uh, a better job at securing their environments than we can as managers. But we have a responsibility to ensure that diligence is conducted on all our cloud providers, just as we do for our brokers and other counterparties. We can't abdicate that responsibility because it's in the cloud, as it were. Uh, so vendor management is just as important uh, and must cover you know, all of our providers. As you can imagine, we moved to a virtual operational due diligence uh, when the pandemic hit. Uh, I would say there were a number of benefits to this approach. We had reduced spend on travel, uh, both in terms of the cost of the travel itself, but also the cost of people's time. Um, video conferencing allowed us to include more subject matter experts on our own side of the due diligence meeting and also to get access to more of the key people in the manager's business, irrespective of, of where they were located. We did also see some negatives. Um, you know, some allocators were hesitant to make material investment decisions without the ability to make the physical visit. Um, and as travel has reopened, we've favoured a return to the on-site visit. Uh, it allows for physical verification of documentation and key proce processes on the on the trading floor, for example. Uh, but there have been benefits from the past two years that continue to have a, a positive influence on the ODD process overall. I would say. You mentioned investors there, and we should spend a little time on those because we've we've talked about managers a fair amount here. What has been the response of investors to the recent macroeconomic and performance environment? And what has been your experience of the landscape from a business development perspective? Yeah, in, investors have faced renewed uncertainty in, in markets in the past year and, and really from the the pandemic period, obviously. Um, the macro environment is changing. Uh, we're in a live regime shift, and this can potentially make investors nervous. Uh, economies are showing signs of slowing. We have higher interest rates, and we've seen persistent inflation. Um, buying on the dip in equities as a strategy has worked well for a long time, but that's now being called into, into real question. The focus will increasingly be on preserving wealth. So liquidity becomes important. We see this from our clients, but often people are slow to move when environments shifts like this. In terms of our own recent observations, the US market is certainly moving more now. Uh, we've seen major flows uh, into mutual funds that cover CTA funds, as well as multi-asset and return stacking solutions at the, the wirehouses, broker dealers and, and RIAs. Model money within these has been on the move away from fixed income into alternatives and, and managed futures has benefited here. Um, on the use at CTA front, that market is 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 holding, uh, but is still below historic asset highs that we would have seen back in, in 2017. Um, institutional flows then in, in Europe, the Middle East and Asia and US are are slower. Typically, the institutional channels are advised by global and regional investment consultants. Uh, it's fair to say that consultants are increasing their interest in, in the space, in the managed future space, particularly as they and their clients increasingly look for diversification and, and liquidity uh, over the coming period. 
We've seen European pensions and multifamily offices investing in our private placement solutions this year, but it's not a deluge at this point. It's a continuation of relationships established over a decade and where we've spent time constantly educating on the potential merits of, of the CTA offering. Um, there can often be a lag between performance and, and institutional allocation. Uh, and so that's really what we expect to see in, in the institutional space, I would say. Well, Kevin, this has been a fascinating conversation. And it's um, interesting to hear from you that it's not just institutional investors that are taking notice of um, the quality of managed futures, particularly in this climate. Um, where might uh, our listeners uh, get to read more, I guess, about CTAs and managed futures? Is that something that you make available on your website? Yeah, we, we, we do. We have uh, various uh, links and, and studies on our website where uh, hopefully we uh, are able to continue that, uh, that education process that I spoke about earlier on. Um, so that's certainly a, a starting point for some uh, in terms of their, their journey on, on understanding the, the potential merits, as I said, of, of, uh, of managed futures investing. And again, um, for, for those listeners who are familiar with our own work on AMA.org, um, we did a paper back in 2017, Riding the Wave, which is a primer on the managed futures um, strategy and on the managed futures sector. And indeed, our friends at Abbey Capital helped contribute to that piece. So thank you again for that. And thank you, uh, Kevin, for joining us today. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Drew. It was a pleasure to speak to you today. Hi, this is Bill Kelly, President and CEO of the Kai Association, and you're listening to Amos The Long Short Podcast. Join me in episode 14, where I discuss my vision for improving financial literacy and understanding of the alternative investment industry, as well as keeping Kaya's curriculum up to date with the market. And this is a never ending job. Enjoy and stay educated. The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AMA.org. Thanks for listening.